This podcast is brought to you by the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. Hey, great to be joined right now by our friend Eric Bradlow, co-host of Moneyball, which you hear right here on Sirius XM 132. He's uh, also professor of marketing at Wharton and the chair of the marketing department. Hi, Eric. How are you? I'm doing fine. It's great to be back with you, Dan, on uh, Wharton Business Daily. It, it has been way too long and great to talk to you about uh, about this. And it is kind of amazing in talking with some of these athletes and, and with Mayor Mendenhall right there, uh, how massive an undertaking it is to try and do this event. Uh, at, well, every four years uh, or every two years, depending on, you know, what side of the uh, what side of the element you're in in this industry. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine many aspects of it, both from a, I'll call it analytics and performance point of view. One is I have empathy for these athletes that are performing in like four, five, six different events that, you know, both timing and location can be different in some places. Um, I could also imagine that the amount of travel or distance someone has to travel could actually affect their performance. So I think just balancing all of that and making it fair, making the coordination work for that many athletes who are doing that many different sports and as you mentioned, within the city, has to be a very difficult thing to do. Well, and then throw in the fact that here we are at this Olympic Games. The pandemic is still having an impact uh, over there in Japan. Uh, yet these games are still going on. No uh, fans in the stands, uh, but still uh, the the viewership is going to be very high. I would imagine for a lot of these events. Yeah, I mean, I think um, a lot of us that are remote watching it are still just as interested in the Olympics as we always have been. I think a lot of us, like myself, I'm interested to see how, as you mentioned, Dan, the lack of fans affects performance. Because one of the things you could imagine is, you know, if the crowd's behind you, you can imagine setting new world records. You could imagine if you're not one of the more favored athletes, you could imagine it helping you from the bottom end. So I'm just always interested to see how fans in the stands affect performance. If anything, I'm probably more interested in seeing Olympic performance right now just as a baseline to what happens, kind of what's the home field advantage, as you know we talk about in sports all the time. I'm interested to see how it affects performance at this year's Olympics. Well, and so from the marketing perspective, I guess it doesn't change a lot for the companies that will advertise uh, in and around the Olympic Games because primarily that's going to be on the TV broadcast. And we know uh, that that element is going to be you know, the, the main avenue that people are going to be watching these games, especially this, this go around. It's a great point. You know, a few years ago, we, uh, with a couple of students, we actually looked at the effect of, let's call it, in-stadium marketing on actual people's purchase behaviors. And you're right. It is quite modest, but not zero. We all go to stadiums. We see billboards up. We see electronic billboards uh, in-stadium marketing does work, but there's no doubt, you know, it's, what's the expression, dollars to donuts or now dollars to pennies? Um, the big money is in the international you know, billions audience, not in the, whether it's 20,000, 50,000, 100,000 people that would happen to be in the stadium. But those effects are not zero. And I imagine a bunch of local advertisers will, there will be an effect on local advertising. But globally, I agree with you, it's still going to be a massive marketing event. So it's interesting you mentioned that because, and I, I don't know if you saw the story about Toyota the other day, about the fact that they're not going to run ads in Japan 
uh, in and around the Olympics. They may still have, you know, their global advertising, but in their home country, they're not going to do that. And their executives are not going to be going to the opening ceremony. So uh, and maybe that's in part the cultural aspect to this uh, to this marketing side of it, but they are very aware of maybe the feelings of the people there in Japan about having these games with a pandemic still as uh, you know having an impact. I think you bring up something that's a really big point that we all talk about, which is uh, you know um, what's the brand, what's the brand identity, and you can imagine um, it's look it's questionable to run these Olympics from a purely public health point of view. And you can imagine, especially a Japanese-originated uh, company uh, in Japan saying, we don't want our brand associated with something that, you know, if it had been called off, people would have understood. If it's run, people will understand. This could have a long-run impact on the perception of a brand, or if we'd like, we call these, as you know, Dan, brand associations. And not that the Olympics isn't a good brand association, but this Olympics under these times, in COVID times, this may not be a brand association uh, certain companies want. So outside of, of seeing the performance of the athletes with no crowds, what are you most watchful of uh, this, uh, this Olympics go-around? Well, you know, both from a marketing point of view, it's always interesting to see who the – I'll use both my marketing hat and my statistics hat here. From the marketing point of view, it's always interesting to see uh, who are the breakout stars from the Olympics and in some sense how they build their individual brands through the Olympics and who eventually emerges as people that turn out to be marketable, whether it's based on extreme performance or, you know, you could imagine the other side, someone that has a very empathetic type of performance, that person could end up being marketable. From the statistics point of view, again, I'm always interested in how performance is affected by crowds. I'm also interested to see, I have to admit it, um, obviously I wish every athlete was doubly vaccinated. Maybe most of them are. I wish all of them. Uh, none of them get COVID. I also have to admit, I'm interested, given they're in a close living environment, how many of them actually end up testing positive. It, it's just an interesting, I'll call it, social experiment with people yeah. that close in physical proximity. So I have both marketing interests and statistics interests. And of course, I'm a big sports fan, as you know. So I have, I have triple interest in this year's Olympics. So, you know, it's interesting because we've already had some of the uh, games go off, and I think everybody's attention here in the United States, at least early on, was on the fact that the U.S. women's soccer team lost to Sweden 3 nothing in their opening game. Now, that may, in the end, you know, have some impact, but uh, I think the, the attention that it draws for the U.S. women's national team, which is already a big draw, adds to their level of interest going forward in these Olympic Games. Yeah, I think when I saw that result, um, I was surprised, and maybe not as surprised. You know, any team can lose on any given day. I think uh, something we talk about in analytics all the time is, does the magnitude of the loss mean anything? So first, as you know, in soccer, 3 nothing is not an insignificant loss. That's a very right. significant loss. The fact that the yep. U.S. team scored zero, the fact that they had to bring in two additional players in the second half. So I think there could be... Um, it could be a signal that this isn't the, I forget if it was 40-some-odd, this isn't the 40-some-odd strong team that's won this many consecutive games. There yeah. should be some worry for the U.S. women's national soccer team going down the line, given the magnitude of, of this loss. 
What's your expectation then overall for this? And I think to a degree, there you talk about the kind of the experiment of this Olympic Games. I think there is going to be much more of an interest after the Olympic Games about how a lot of these elements played out moving forward. Yeah, um, uh, if you're talking about the U.S. women's team, uh, I'm a base rates and prior person, which is um, you know never get too high from one outcome, never get too low from one outcome. Um, I think the base rate is that they went in, I'm sure, still as the favorite. Uh, I see no evidence yet to suggest they're not still the favorite. And I think that's probably good to do for most sports and most athletes is that, you know, you see one performance and you tend to overreact. Um, Anybody can have a bad performance and bad day. Um, I, I still think they're the favorite. And my guess is anybody going into the Olympics, I see no reason yet to believe that the local climate, the lack of fans, et cetera, would differentially impact one athlete versus another. So I'm still a base rate person, and I'm going with the favorite unless I see evidence otherwise. All right, Eric, thanks very much. Uh, Great to have you back with us. I look forward to hearing you on Moneyball. Thanks, Dan. It's great to be with you, and it'll be good to see you again in person soon. Absolutely. Looking forward to that sometime here in the next uh, month or so. All right. Eric Bradlow joining his co-host of Moneyball right here on Sirius XM 132 and professor of marketing and chair of the marketing department at the Wharton School. To keep engaged with Wharton Business Daily and other Wharton School shows, visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu.